you can take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 121. Psalm 121. Pastor Scott's pastor's word this morning. You can see a good explanation of the, the Psalms of Confidence, which, which this morning's psalm, we've been in the Psalms for, for several weeks now, right? The, this morning's psalm is a psalm of confidence. Okay, and if, if I would have known he was going to be so elaborate, we would have saved about five minutes off this sermon, but... Um, I'll repeat it, and repetition is helpful. Um, but what may not be helpful is that the, the elder who likes to scream most was given a psalm of confidence. Okay, and This is a, a glorious psalm. Um, the truths that we see in this psalm just sort of continue to build upon one another. And those moments that Pastor Scott calls for so often in his sermons of, of, of these truths ought to make you dance a little bit. This was, this was full of it for me. Okay, So pray for me that, that there, there's clarity, but also pray, pray that it's not um, overly rowdy up here. Okay, So Psalm 121, Psalm 121, if you will hear the word of the Lord. It's a song of ascents. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Amen. And let's pray. Gracious Father, we are asking that You would yet again, as we, as we come to Your truth, as we come to Your Word, we wouldn't take for granted how You speak to us, how You work in us. We are asking again that You would increase our faith, that You would strengthen our faith, that the object of our faith, Christ Jesus, would be so clear to us as the anchor of our souls. Father, would you do that through Psalm 121 for your people, for this congregation this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So what good is a right answer to a good question if it's not believed or if it's not applied? And ask another way, what benefit is the truth, that truth learned, if it doesn't affect the soul and light it up. As we've been going through various genres of the Psalms the last several weeks, we've looked at how the variety of ways the Psalms teach us how to feel and teach us how to think about the ways that we feel. And thus far, we've looked at Psalms of Wisdom. We've looked at a Psalm of Lament. We've looked at a Psalm of Thanksgiving and Penitence. We've looked at a psalm of praise. Next week, you'll see an imprecatory psalm, a psalm of cursing. 
This morning we come to a psalm that has often been classified as a psalm of confidence. So there are certain psalms that just overwhelmingly burst open with trust and confidence. It's not the scenario. It's not the situation necessarily that the psalmist finds him in. It's just the tone of the psalmist and how grasped he is and how, and how closely intertwined his faith is with certain truths of our faith. Most famously would probably be the, the Psalm 23. Think about the tone of Psalm 23. You all know it and are familiar with it. Yahweh is my shepherd. Hear the confidence. I want for nothing. I lack no thing. He restores my soul. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for You are with me. Your protection and Your discipline even, Your discipline even, comforts me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Confidence, right? What great truths about God, about His care, about His goodness, and what great trust in God and His care that the psalmist displays for us. The tone is a restful confidence. But this brings me back to my beginning question for us as hearers and readers of God's truth, what good is there in a great answer to a very legitimate question if you don't exercise faith in His truth? You can walk away with a good and right answer and you can be satisfied. Maybe dangerously so, but you can be satisfied with just knowing the right answer. You can be understanding now and be content with simply having the knowledge that the answer provided. But thinking about this in the context of the great truths of God, the great truths of Scripture, does it stir you, this knowledge of the truth, does it stir you to trust and be confident? Does it move you, we could say? Do our emotions become affected by the truth of God's promises. Psalm 121 sounds a lot like a catechism. If you notice, just reading through it, it, it's got a little bit of a question and answer format. A good catechism asks questions that are really good and it gives it gives answers that are really good. But you can memorize hundreds of answers to questions and become equipped with all of the right knowledge and yet crash and burn at the smallest threats in your life. Because this truth about our good God has been learned perhaps, but it's not been applied as the anchor of your life, the anchor of your soul. It's not been believed to be the meat of your confidence. And this is what these nine nine psalms are about. These psalms of confidence are about actually doing just that, helping you by God's truth to be anchored confidently in His promises. And so, look at verse 1 again as we pray that the Lord would produce confidence in us. I lift my eyes to the hills from where does my help come? Now, 
you'll see uh, half a dozen one way, six the other if you read all the commentaries and say, is the psalmist here looking up and contemplating with anticipation something in the hills, something in the mountains, or is he looking with anxiety? And the reality is we don't know. And, and perhaps it could be both. We don't know the situation and the inner situation here of the psalmist, but we do know that the psalmist sets his gaze on the hills and on the mountains. So we picture here a traveling pilgrim. Okay, we picture a pilgrim with lots of thoughts racing through his or her head. Okay, no doubt not the safest journey. If these, if this question here of where does my help come from, what, what, there's no doubt that there is, is, uh, a, at least a mind that is racing. Okay, whether in the negative or the positive to start here, the thoughts are rolling through. But picture a dangerous and grueling journey. The setting here is probably a traveling of God's people to Jerusalem, to the city on a hill from one, uh, for one of the three required festivals. Uh, uh, Warren shared with this a couple weeks ago in Psalm 84 and mentioned this traveling that had to be done, that, that, that if, if the people of God were to be obedient, they were going to travel three times a year up the mountain that was their calling from God would God be faithful in protecting them for what He had called them to? Yahweh, the God of Israel, called His people to worship in these specific ways. If you notice in your Bible the headings for Psalm 120 through 134, and these are this isn't a genre, but all of those have those 15 psalms have a title called the Song of Ascents. These 15, maybe in your Bible, say Song. Or songs of degrees. A song of going ups is what it would be. So these 15 psalms could have been like the traveling hymns of the journey to Jerusalem. Okay, a going up. So uh, maybe if, if you're a, a road trip junkie, you would say this is the playlist up to the mountain, right? This would be where they got their truth better recalled to mind and better instilled in them. So a collection of psalms that we would use still yet today to help us call to remembrance, to sing together, and to dwell on the Lord as part of the journey. And so the pilgrim lifts his eyes to the mountains, lifts his eyes to the hills, and the question is asked, from where does my help come? Now this is a part of the people of God. This is a pilgrim from the nation of God and entering into his mind is where does my help come from? This question actually, if you read Calvin's commentary on this, it actually startled him. He was kind of he was kind of stuck on this on this psalm here for a little bit of why would a God fearer, why would a Christian ask that question? What's it mean? What's the significance that the Christian heart, the believer in God overall, would ask the question, "Where does my help come from?" It's a good question. In the midst of a challenging but sometimes brutal journey, where does our help come from? 
another way, how am I really doing this? It's a great question. Is this me? Am I working up the strength? Is it chance? Is it a flip the coin? Is it is it just some lives are lived better than others? As simply chance? This word here for help isn't speaking of an assistance that the psalmist uses, but of a provision. So when you read this word help, we're not looking at this is help as assistance, but this is a provision, a providing of what is lacking, what can't be done, what can't be met by yourself. It's often used in the Old Testament to show the divine intervention of God to provide for the need that would no other way be met. The pilgrim is asking, okay, how am I really going to make this work? How am I really in this life sustained? Yes, a question that is frequently in our thoughts even as Christians. Where does my protection, where does my safety, where does my help come from? And for the answer in verse 2, Maybe from another traveler, or maybe it's just the inner dialogue of the same pilgrim. But the answer in verse 2, My help, of course, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. My help, our help, is from the Lord, the covenant-keeping God, the covenant-keeping Yahweh. These are all caps in the letters of Lord. This is speaking of Yahweh, the God of Israel. The God who has promised in His covenant faithfulness to guide me and to walk beside me and to provide protection. The God who calls His people to make this journey and who is faithful to not just provide, but you need to understand that God is faithful to solely provide all of the help that we need for this journey. Why this makes the pilgrim confident is more clear in the second part of verse 2. The second part of verse 2. He's the maker of heaven and earth. My help comes from the maker of heaven and earth. You, you may think of the confessional statement that we read in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And what the psalmist is saying here, and what we're affirming in the creed, is not just that God is the creator. We, we may have our minds go to, to modern day uh, debates on creation and evolution. But he's not just stating that God here as the creator is what I get my hope in. But he is saying that maker of heaven and earth is over heaven and earth. The God that created the heavens and the earth is also sovereign over the heavens and the earth. Maker of the treacherous mountains and dark valleys is sovereign over the treacherous mountains and dark valleys. He is the only sovereign and He is all-powerful, unlimited in power. Commentator Alan Ross says this, The point is that the Lord created everything. 
And if He created the hills through which the pilgrim must walk, and whatever the Lord has created, He can control. He goes on to say the doctrine of creation. And listen to this. The doctrine of creation, therefore, is relevant for the life of faith in every single detail. If pilgrims were faithfully obeying the sovereign Lord of creation by going up to Jerusalem to worship Him, then they could be confident that He was able to overcome any difficulty on their way. And so, our God, who is not made by hands and made from the minds of men. We compare our great God who has always been and always will be to the false gods made up by pagans. Listen to how it's described in Psalm 115. It brings up a question that the nations ask. And the nations ask here to mock. The nations ask to mock and to to imply that God is unwilling and unable. Starting in verse 2 of Psalm 115, Why should the nations say, Where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. You shouldn't have mocked us. Here's mocking right back at you that you can't answer. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but they don't speak. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses, but they do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but they do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them, so do all that trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is our help and our shield. He is your sovereign and only help. And as we begin to see how to preach this to ourselves, to constantly remind this to ourselves and to be reassured of the Lord's sovereign, divine protection, it begs the question, why in the world would we as God's people look anywhere else? If we as God's people are, as Peter says, a chosen race, a people for His own possession... If we are, as Paul says in Romans, as we just confessed this morning, as, as we could say confidently that nothing can separate us from the love of God, then if we know the answer from where does our help come from, then a valid question to follow that up is why would we, as the people of God, look anywhere else? The rest of this psalm shows the assurance of divine help in the six remaining verses. And you can look at these verses as pairs. You can see three and four going together. You can see five and six going together. And you can see seven and eight going together. We can be confident in the help of the Lord because He is most assuredly attentive. He is most assuredly attentive. Look at verses 3 and 4. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. 
It is here that we start to see what it really means that the Lord is our help. The Lord is our keeper. That's what it means that the Lord is our help. He is our keeper. The Lord is our guardian. Some of your translations may say, the Lord is our protector. You may have a translation that says, it is He who watches. But watches for us, to, to not saying that's a bad translation, but watches to our ears may imply that this is a passive action. That the Lord just watches and observes. In my children's Sunday school class, I use this phrase often that the, when we talk about the providence of the God that the Lord doesn't just take earth and spin it out into orbit and sit back and see, say, what's going to happen? He doesn't just observe His creation like that. But when we talk about the providence of God and how we see it in Scripture, it's not a, a passive watching. All the ways God providentially, providentially cares for His people, understand this, that God isn't just seeing and observing and so just watching. Understand that He is watchful, but He is watchful as the guardian and protector of your life. And not just your life, but He is the guardian of your soul. He is your provider of divine Protection. He will not let your foot slip or be moved. Again, back to the the pilgrim on the treacherous journey. Think if you've ever hiked Mastodon, the the the, the treacherous two mile loop on the other side. You have to literally look every single step. If you take your focus off, especially if you're hiking that with children, if you lose your attention, it's treacherous. It's dangerous, and that probably compared nothing to some of these places where the people of God had to journey. But this would require attention. Psalm 55.22 says this, Cast your burden on the Lord and He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. This would require attention from the Lord. You understand that? You understand that the Lord is not like us in attention. He is not like us in attention span. He is not like us in being inattentive so often. But this would require for the Lord to be able to promise this perfect attention. How many accidents happen when we simply aren't paying attention? The the idea here is that the Lord is certainly, emphatically attentive to His people. The second part of verse 3 into verse 4. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The God who keeps, who protects, will not slumber or sleep. It's really hard to get things uh, from Hebrew over to our English in some of these spots of the Old Testament. Okay, and our translations go different routes and things. But in the Hebrew, verse 3 could potentially be a prayer. Or what we would at least call a prayer wish. Okay, so as you look at verse 3, and you see, He will not let your foot be moved, or He who keeps you will not slumber. It could also be something to the effect of, Would God not let your foot be moved? Would God not slumber? In verse 4, there's a response to that that makes sense. Look at the behold. Some of your translations may say indeed. But behold, behold, the guardian of Israel doesn't slumber or sleep. This is your prayer. This is your wish. 
Well, guess what? The God of Israel does not sleep. He is not like the gods that do not speak and need the rest. And the, and the, 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 the gods made by pagans that need a nap. He doesn't slumber or sleep. Rest assured. Yahweh doesn't need rest. He is always attentive. And understand, Christian, you always need attention. We always need attention. Don't think that the Sovereign Lord over all isn't attentive to your life. That's the, that's the point of the psalmist here. Behold, He doesn't slumber or sleep. Similar words, but different. Slumber here carries with it this idea of a drowsy indifference. You ever been that way when a kid walks up? Just a drowsy, out of it, indifference. A lack of care and concern in the moment. A lack of attention. And you know what sleep is, of course. When you're sleeping, you're completely out of it. You're completely unaware. But that's not God. That's not God. Again, this flies in the face of the made-up pagan gods, the made-up pagan deities, pagan nations would even make excuses for their gods. They would say, He doesn't hear us right now, just, just hear us out. He doesn't hear us right now because He needs rest too. He's catching a nap. He's taking a break from being our God. It's understandable. We'll come back later. Just wait. That's not our God. Our God is not anything like made-up gods. He doesn't hear us right now because He's sleeping. Because He's taking a nap. Understand that when you create a God, you get a God that sounds a lot like yourself. And we can't fathom not needing rest and being fully attentive at all times, right? It's not in us to be able to fathom. How would that work as us as humans to do that? We can't fathom what it would be to be able to go without rest and to be perfectly attentive in everything, not needing rest and being on our A-game for everything. One day's work and one day's attention span is exhaustive. Amen? Amen? It's exhaustive. And the psalm says, God never needs to rest. Not only does He not sleep, but He doesn't even need rest. He doesn't need sleep. He is always attentive. So you know when Scott says, this is a truth that ought to make you dance, this is it. This is the truth. That God doesn't need rest is for us to be rested in. So when you think about your humanness, and I think about my humanness, I think about all the things that I had to cram in this week with also preparing a a sermon on confidence. And I think about my finiteness. And I think about my oh-so-limited body and brain. And some of you look up here and saying you don't even know the half of it yet. (laughs) Right? When we think about all of our restrictions as finite creatures, with the, with the psalmist we can confidently say our keeper doesn't need rest. He doesn't need rest. He doesn't need to sleep. He is perfectly attentive at all times. And in my weakness and in my limits, 
I can say, I can't keep myself, but the Lord can. The Lord is our keeper and He does it perfectly. Behold, our non-sleeping, no need of sleep, God watches over you at all times wonderfully and perfectly. And you can sleep like a baby because of that truth. This might be just the very truth that you need on a dark day to preach to yourself. That God is a God who needs no rest and is always attentive. If you look at the next couple of verses, not only is the Lord assuredly attentive, but from verse 5 and 6 we see that He is affirmatively active. He is an active God in His good care and providence. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. Now understand this. We aren't just being clued in here from the psalmist into God's providence and His general providence, His general care of His creation. Okay, That's not what's happening here. That's a good doctrine. The general providence of God and how He cares for His creation generally. A great doctrine. But we're not talking about that here. We are talking about a wonderful and glorious special providential care for the people of God. His special care for His people alone. And do you believe that as a child of God that you are actually favored by the King of the universe? That's what the psalmist is getting at here. Do you believe that you actually are being showed favor from the King of Kings as His people? He is especially active in special and intimate ways in your life as a child of the Kings, as your keeper. This idea of shade is a picture of a complete covering. How beautiful shade will be today when it gets up to 102 degrees and you are for some reason not in the air conditioning. Shade, a complete covering, a refuge, a complete protection. He says on the right, a soldier would have had his shield in his left hand, his left arm. That would, have been the, that would have been the soldier's carrying position of a shield. Okay? Making his right side perhaps vulnerable. Okay? And the psalmist says, God is your shade and protection to your right. What isn't finished, He is going to complete it. All around you, all above you, God is your shade and protection. Psalm 109.31 says, For He stands at the right hand of the needy one to save him from those who condemn his soul to death. Psalm 16.8 Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. As our shade, we are protected by God from the fierce heat of the sun. The pilgrim is protected from the dangers of the dark night. But more than the literal day and sunlight and night and darkness, the psalmist here is using a special kind of literary device to say this is all-encompassing. Okay? In the case of day and night, in the case of light and darkness, the psalmist here is communicating that God is protector over all at all times. The whole day, the whole picture, the whole journey, all details, God has covered completely as shade shadows everywhere where the sun would be. 
where the sun would scorch. The sun, nor the moon, nor anything shall strike you apart from God's good and sovereign divine protection. He is adamantly active in His protection of His people. No matter where you are, no matter where you go, no matter what you do, He is there and He's not just watching. He is actively providing the shade. And finally, in the closing of this psalm, we see in the last two verses that He is always and eternally able. He is always and eternally able to keep. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. We have a picture of life past. We have a picture of, of, this, of this current journey and where, where we're at on this perhaps treacherous part. Or we have life a little further along on this journey. And the Lord keeps on keeping. There is an everlasting security for the people of God. Understand that that is God's special provision and special providential care for the people of God alone. Those who trust in Him have Him at their right side. They will not be shaken. That is not a promise in general. That is a promise specifically for the people of God. How can we not be assured then by this conclusion? Again, a metaphor. A way of speaking when he says a going out and a coming in. Of speaking of all the affairs of your life. Do you understand when you brush your teeth, the Lord is providentially over it. Do you realize that when you lose your cool over the simplest, stupidest things, that the Lord is providentially over it. Everything. The psalmist is making the emphatic point that God is over all. You move across the country, that's big. That's a big stressor of life. He's over it. You stub your toe, He's over it. You spilled milk, He's over it. Your house goes up in flames. He's over it. The word for life at the end of verse 7 is literally soul. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The idea of keeping you from all evil isn't that you will have a life of ease. We know better than that. It's not that we won't have trials. We know better than that. But that when we face evil, when we come face to face with evil and harm itself, the Lord our Keeper is with us and He will do just that. He will keep us. He will keep us. He continues to provide His sovereign covenantal love and blessing as He keeps us. He will keep us all the way through our evil days. From this time forth and forevermore. What confidence deriving from the truth that God is concerned for and cares perfectly for Every single aspect, every single detail of our lives.
Can you say that that actually brings you confidence? Can you say that this is a good thing to know? That Can you say that you can actually apply this to the good days and the evil days of your life? You see, even in the Lord's discipline, can you see His providence? Can you see His special care? God in His good and perfect providence took what sinners meant for evil and He meant it for good. One of my favorite passages in all of Scripture from the life of Joseph at the end of Genesis, we see Joseph tell his brothers what God meant for evil or what what man meant for evil, God meant for good. Right? And we can build a whole great theology on providence from that statement. And we go on to see that in Jesus being crucified on the cross, killed by wicked men, no doubt sent to the cross by wicked men in the ironic good providence of God, it was His plan all along to provide eternal shade for His people, to provide eternal protection for His Beloved, to provide an eternal keeping that nothing can separate you from the love of God if your faith is in Jesus Christ, to provide an eternal guardianship for the people of God. In His provision, we are provided for and we are covered by the blood of a Savior, a complete forgiveness, a complete shading of our sin and a transfer from the kingdom of darkness over to the household of God where by faith we receive a divine covering, a divine protection that assures us from from this time forth and forevermore we are kept by the almighty sovereign maker of heaven and earth. Why would we not put our trust in Him? Amen. Amen. Put your confidence in Christ and be kept by the Father. Let's pray. What divine protection, Lord. What divine protection is on full display in this psalm and so many places of Your truth that shows the guardianship, the security, the guidance and the blessing of our covenant Yahweh. Lord, would it penetrate deep into the souls of Your people? Would it be more than just head knowledge like a catechism question and answer? Would it be what we can most grasp on and grasp to and cling to in our most evil of days? Lord, we need Your help. We are completely dependent on You for everything and we rest in the fact that that's okay. You have it all covered. We thank You for Your wonderful divine shade. Help us, Lord, to walk in confidence. It's in Your name we pray. Amen.